Marie, you have such a gift of being able to speak so eloquently. I wish I were able to speak like you. Uh, today, I just want to make one recognition today, somebody who's been a real pillar in the church, and that would be Charlie Knockle. Charlie Knockle, um, you see him teaching Sunday school all the time, and I just want to say he gets no recognition except the, the class people love him. But I just want to say thank you for your devoted service, Charlie, all these years. Praise the Lord for you. Now, I'm not saying that because he's retiring. Okay, just to let you know, he's not retiring, right? Okay. Um, I, um, you know, the household I grew up in was very interesting. I never saw my parents fight. I just never saw, I saw other people fight in my household, but I never saw my mother and father fight. And I heard that they did have disagreements. Uh, my dad passed away. And, and uh, I heard that they, had, they went behind closed doors and fought. Um, there are other people who see their parents fight all the time. And when they see their parents fight, the question is, do we see their parents find a way to resolve this issue? And oftentimes, sometimes maybe that happens. Sometimes the issue is never resolved, and you just kind of stay in this place of hostility with each other. Even if you resolve this issue, a lot of times kids do not see their parents resolving it. Or their parents don't go back to the kids and explain to them, this is how we resolved it. I think about Rick Warren, who said recently, well, not recently, but he said in a sermon on conflict, he said, why do we need to learn how to resolve conflict? He says, because conflict is everywhere we go. It's everywhere we go, but we're not taught how to resolve our conflicts. Fortunately, in the church, we actually are taught by our Lord Jesus Christ, but they, by and large, we're not taught how to resolve conflicts. It's, unless you kind of get into a conflict and you call into the principal's office, and then they kind of sit you down, okay, let's just see if we can work this out. And then it becomes very stressful for any, everyone. Today's sermon is a continuation from last week. If you did not hear last week's sermon, go ahead and go online and you can pick it off of our website, westoahuchristian.org, and you can listen to that part, part one, fully invest in and empower relationships. In that sermon, we talked about Matthew 15, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, verse 15, where Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. In the following verses, he talks about an escalation. How do you escalate this into other layers in which you can hopefully resolve this? But I focused on Matthew 18, 15 last week. Peacemaking is extremely important. We can believe that God has peacemaking in, uh, as a priority because the triune God lives continually in peace. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live continually in peace and in unity and oneness with each other. And so when mankind broke that covenant of unity and holiness by violating God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it introduced this dynamic that is, that is not right. It doesn't fit into God's natural um, harmony. And so God immediately moves in. We looked at this in the previous sermons. 
in order to make peace. In Genesis 3, God's grace begins moving in. Fast forward, we hear Jesus declaring that blessed are the peacemakers. The prophet said that Jesus himself is the prince of peace. And then he calls his followers to make peace. Matthew 5.23 says, If you're offering your gift at the altar, altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Sadly, a lot of us choose to worship. Jesus is saying making peace with one another is more important than worshiping God. Sadly, many of us want to just put up with divisions in our relationships, and then we come and worship God. We, but, but Jesus values peace so much that he says, go and make peace. So why? This is because we have conflicts everywhere we go, and God is in the process of bringing us back to him like a Holy Spirit conveyor belt moving his church along the line toward peace, a place of peace in our relationships. Today, we're going to cover exemptions to Jesus' basic instructions. So last week, it was, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. So here's what we're looking at here. That is the basic command, and, but are there exemptions to this? And here's a couple of I'm going to ask a couple of questions and then and see where we go from there. Hopefully, we can, you'll be able to follow this with me, okay? So, as we go into this, I'd like us to think about certain kinds of areas where we have had trouble making peace with each other. And let's Bring that to the altar of God and ask Him to help us because we are not called to do it alone, but in His power. Our Lord, we thank You that You desire for us to live in peace. In Your most solemn prayer, Lord Jesus, You've called us to be one with each other, just as you are one with the Father. And thereby, we can be one with you, God. So, Lord, help us in our weakness as we stumble along. Help us to not be overly judgmental of ourselves, but to realize that you want us to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. That's the ideal situation here. So here's the first question I want to ask here, that we all ask. Do I need to go to my brother every time he offends me? If, he, if I get offended by little itty-bitty little things, do I need to go, by, go, go to them and bring up every single thing? And the answer is no. You do not need to go and do that every single time. 
If we did that, you would be called a nitpicker. In case you don't know what a nitpicker is, if you ever had head lice infestation, which we have had at our household, then you got to go and then you got to cut your hair and then you have to uh, put on this solution and then you have to comb your hair and you look for nits. You know what a nit is? It's a louse egg that's attached to the hair. And you're looking in there, you got a magnifying glass, you're a nitpicker. I've had to do that. And it wasn't until I had to do that that I understood what being a nitpicker was. I just thought nitpicking, yeah, you're too, too detailed. I, you know, you, you're just kind of bothered by details. Okay, so the reality is we do not always have to go to this, um, our brother, every time. So this is just a general pattern that Jesus gives us, and there are other scriptures that talk about this. There are many times when a believer is called to overlook an offense, to overlook an offense. And what that means is you're not overly critical of this situation, but you are called to make peace with this in your own heart. Maybe it's a crude joke, or maybe some desperate driver needs to cut in front of you. You're not going to, I hope, pull that driver off and try to stop and try to resolve this conflict with them. I hope not, because that's going to inflame the situation, okay? Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Be winsome. Be not brought down by a lot of people's stuff. Overlook offenses. So, what you want to do is to make sure your flashpoint is not really low. If your flashpoint is really low, then it could simply mean that you have an anger management problem. It may be overly critical or overly judgmental. So ask yourself in trying to figure out this question, should I go, do I have to go to this person or not? Is it hurting my relationship? Is it hurting the way I interact with them? Did I do something to contribute to this conflict? What was my part in this? And sometimes you ask that question, you realize, wow, I, I have a lot to blame in this too. And God may give you a soothing spirit to not be so upset. How about this? Is it eating me up inside? Am I preoccupied with this where I just can't get a grip on this? Is my heart being darkened? And so the question here is, can you overlook the offense? Can you love the person? Jesus calls us to love our enemies and Pray for our persecutors. Can you not treat the offender with contempt or passive-aggressive behavior and hidden revenge? So that's a question you need to ask. Another question that we need to ask is, what about those who simply will not confront the offender? There are some people who will not, in any, under any condition, confront their offender. Uh, Whatever it might be, there, there are a lot of reasons for that. It could be personality, it could be our culture, that we don't just don't do that kind of thing. Whatever it might be. Um, that, uh, on a number of occasions, over the past several years, people reported to us that, there were, that they had somebody that uh, offended them, but they just are not going to confront them because it's just not what they're going to do. They don't want to be involved, but unfortunately, when that happens, and if they have not resolved this in their heart themselves, it is a near impossible situation to resolve. And everywhere I've looked to how do you confront, 
How do you bring up a situation where somebody does not want to actually bring it up with an offender? There is no good answer for that. And so we le we're left stuck, if you, as it were, with an open wound. So anytime you have a division, you have physically, if you, if you ever had a cut before, if you never had a cut, you might not understand, but if you had a cut before, you have a little slice in your skin, the cells in your skin have now have a part in it. It's now divided. And the nerves in that cell, between the cells, say, there's a cut here, we need some healing. And, and, uh, and, uh, but let's say the cut says, I don't want to be healed. Now, fortunately, your body doesn't say that. Everything in your body says, let's be healed. But we as believers sometimes come, come across and we say, I don't want to be healed with that person. It's sad to say, but in that situation, the cut in Jesus' body re will remain an open wound. So, there are times when you might not be able to resolve the situation. There are a whole spectrum of situations that we're not going to be talking about here, and if you want to talk about that, go take a university counseling class or a Christian counseling class, and you can hear all the varieties of things. Um, that's not what I'm here today. I'm here to simply speak about the basics of our hearts moving toward and pursuing other people in our congregation so that we can put divisions behind us. So that's the first question. That first question is, do I have to always go to that person? And the answer is no. If you can work it out in your own heart, you can, uh, praise God, you can do that. Second question is, must I always talk to the offender first? Only talk to the offender first. And the answer to that is also no. You don't always have to go to the offender first. You can call on wise and godly people to help you to make peace. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, the purposes of a man's uh, a person's heart are deep waters, and a man of understanding draws them out. There's a lot of depth in your friend's heart. And it takes wisdom to be able to sit with that person and draw out what is in their heart. God has, through the ages, used other people to help resolve people's situations. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 Paul notes that there's a conflict between Yodia and Syntyche. And Paul says to the saints in Philippi, go ahead and help these two. Um, help these two resolve their conflict. The um, um, Abigail, Abigail, David was crossed by and offended by a guy. He, um, his name was Nabal. He was tending Nabal's fields, and he just wanted to ask Nabal if he can get a little bit of refreshment and supplies. Abigail and, and uh, Nabal answered him very rudely, and um, David was very offended by that. Abigail moved in and brought peace. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture you should take a look at. So, the person who moves in between two parties 
we would call a peacemaker. Of course, we all are peacemakers. We all, I want to reiterate that every single one of us are responsible to make peace, whether we have somebody offended us or whether we offended somebody else. Individually, we are responsible. But let's say two parties are not coming together. Maybe they don't even know that there is a conflict going on. And a third-party peacemaker can help. Now, this peacemaker needs to know what to do with your conflict. We need peacemakers in our lives. A peacemaker is incredibly important to bring peace. It could be a counselor. It could be a spiritual director. Maybe a, a, a spiritual mature friend to bring you before the Lord. You know, lots of people come to me with their, with their complaint. And of course, when one person comes to me with their complaint, it's always one-sided, every time. And I know better than to believe their story, their, their story as, as just, just their story. I know, and you need to know, that there are always two sides of every story. And if you're hearing only, only one side and you're the peacemaker, you cannot buy their story. And if people want me to be a sympathizer with their cause, then I'm not, I'm not that guy. I know better. I'm not going to be jumping on their, joining their side. Now, I'm going to support them. I'm going to support them in walking before the Lord to make sure that this whole thing is brought into the light. But I'm not going to join their side. The only side I will join is Jesus' side. And I won't know what that is until we move further down into the process. So if you need to confront several people, you might, you might need personal support. Let's say the person that you, you're kind of, uh, you're not sure how to, how to handle this, and you're not the kind of person who wants to confront people, but you don't want the wound to remain open either. That's where a peacemaker can be very helpful. You want to look for somebody who is wise. You want to look for somebody who is going to be able to see beneath the surface. And if somebody asks you, if you're going to be sharing with somebody, that, uh, with a third party about this, you need to ask, does this person I'm sharing with help me resolve the situation God's way? Or does it inflame the issue and spread it even more? Does my sharing move toward peace? That's the bottom line question. If you're listening to someone sharing, are you helping them resolve this issue God's way? Does my listening move this division toward peace? So those, those are questions you want to ask. Those are key questions are in your notes there. No matter which way this goes, everything always moves us now toward forgiveness. Because forgiveness is where God wants us to be. No matter how we went about this, whether it's individually, whether you went and you talked to that person, whether you brought a third party in, forgiveness is where we're going. So I want to talk about forgiveness for a moment. We all need forgiveness. We all want forgiveness. We don't always want to forgive others. Others. Why is it so difficult to do? And we're all too familiar with the biblical commands to forgive. And some of us are haunted by scriptures 
by Jesus that says, for example, if you don't forgive your brother, neither will you be forgiven. And we're haunted by that. And our central verse today is Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So the key to this forgiveness is knowing how God forgave us. Not just that He forgave us, but how He forgave us. And so I want to go to Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, verses 31 through 35. I'm just not going to read that. I'm just going to do a summary of this. We've talked about this similarly when we went through our study in Luke, but I'm just going to summarize this thing. So there's this manager of a king's property who owned, who owed the manager, who owed the king millions of dollars. He had done something, taken the money and used and spent it on his own self. And now he owed the king millions of dollars. The manager was unable to repay the king, so the king ordered that the manager's wife and children be sold to repay the debt. The manager fell on his knees and begged for patience to pay back everything. So the king had mercy and canceled the manager's debt. Then the manager went and found a fellow servant who owed him a few dollars and demanded the fellow servant pay him back. The fellow servant fell on his knees and begged for patience, like the manager did, to pay everything back. The manager, however, threw the servant into prison until the servant could pay him back. Now, other servants saw what happened, and they reported this to the king. So the king said, shouldn't you have had mercy like I had mercy on you? The king threw the manager into prison until the manager could pay everything back. So let's unpack what happened. The manager spent millions of the king's dollars and wasn't able to pay it back. The king canceled the manager's debt. So here's a question. Think about this. Who ended up paying for the manager's debt? Who paid for the manager's debt? I'll give you a hint. It's not the manager. The manager didn't pay, right? He didn't pay it back. The king, the, forgive, the forgiver, ended up paying the debt of the offender. Critical, critical concept here. Forgiveness, as Jesus describes it, is paying the spiritual and emotional debt of the offender. Unforgiveness is making the offender pay for the spiritual and emotional debt. Did you get that? It's written in your thing, so if you didn't, you can just read it. Forgiveness is an unearned and undeserved gift that's paid for by the one who was offended. In this parable, Jesus wants us to understand how God's forgiveness works. Then he calls us to forgive in that way. Ken Sandy, I'm going to read this right out of here. You can follow me if you want, if you can read 10-point font. So when there is a forgiveness 
transaction that you want to, to make, Ken Sandy says you have a choice to make. You can either take payments on the debt or make payments. You can take or exact, extract payments of a debt from others' sins in many ways, by withholding forgiveness, by dwelling on the wrong, by being cold and aloof, by being giving up on the relationship, by inflicting emotional pain, by gossiping, by lashing back, or by seeking revenge against the one who hurt you. These actions may provide a perverse pleasure for the moment, but they exact a high price from you in the long run. As someone has said, unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping others will die. Your other choice, this is a choice we want to make, is to make payments on the debt and thereby release others from penalties they deserve to pay. Sometimes God will enable you to do this in one easy payment. You decide to forgive, and by God's grace, the debt is quickly and fully canceled in your heart and mind. Hallelujah. But when there has been a deep wrong, the debt it creates is not always paid at once. You may need to bear certain effects of the other person's sin over a long period of time. This may involve fighting against painful memories, speaking gracious words when you really want to say something hurtful, working to tear down walls, and be vulnerable when you still feel little trust, or even enduring the consequences of a material or physical injury that the other person is unable or unwilling to repair. Forgiveness is extremely costly, but if you believe in Jesus, you have more than enough to make these payments. By going to the cross, He has already paid off the ultimate debt for your sin and established an account of abundant grace in your name. This is from the book, The Peacemaker. As the band comes up, I'd like to encourage us all to make certain decisions. These are very difficult decisions, but it begins with a a commitment to God saying, God, by your help, I will do these things. That I will not dwell on this incident. I will decide not to bring up this incident again and use it against that offender. I will decide not to talk to others about this incident. I will decide not to let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. This is what it takes to bear with each other and forgive as the Lord forgave you. In the times the elders had worked on resolving conflicts, we saw a whole range, probably the full range of responses. We had those who argued back, defending your actions, escalating, denial, deflecting, blame-shifting, avoidance, all of these things. But there are good instances, a number of very good instances where people humbly brought up a matter before an offender. And as Jesus describes, the offender listened closely to the grievance, sought to understand what they had done to offend this person, and both apologized for their part in this conflict. One person went even further and asked the one who was offended, 
What do I need to do to regain your trust? This is the kind of thing Jesus is after. And when we get to that place by the power of God's Holy Spirit within us, we can be people who bring repair and edification and uplift in the body of Christ. Father, may your Holy Spirit guide us and strengthen us, Lord. Guide us in the way that you want us to go through obedience. Give us courage. Maybe courage that we never knew we had. We want to utilize all the avenues and resources of, that you've given us to provide repair so that we can walk in unity and be in that place before you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because you, uh, our, us, your church, have resolved to walk in oneness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.